You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here as always with David Rommel. Back together again after a lot of free agency news went down. I, I got on on the horn last week to talk about the Kelly Olynyk stuff. We haven't gotten a chance to talk about that. We're going to review uh, the offseason now that we've had a few more days to dissect everything and, and kind of digest it. Yep. But first, Chris Bosch came out with a letter this morning on his website, heartfelt, thoughtful, uh, moving even maybe. And Absolutely. it coincides with a column that you had on FanRag Sports that came out this morning about Chris Bosch's uh, Hall of Fame credentials. Let's talk about the letter first, though. Uh, you had a chance to read it. Um, what were your initial thoughts, and, and did you cry? <laughs> uh, no, I do want to mention, however, that you know part of my absences last week was because I was taking various meetings in free agency, mm. but I'm, I'm glad to have re-signed with a Locked On Heat podcast. I am a Locked On Lifer. How about that? <laughs> I thought there was a second there where I thought you might have gone to uh, the Locked On Bulls podcast or something, but you decided well, yeah. to stay in South Beach. Yes, yes, I'm bringing my talents back to South Beach, <laughs> such as they are. But doing your due diligence. As, yeah, of course, you've got to take meetings. You know, I mean, when you're as a, as highly coveted a free agent as I am, uh, you've got to do what you can. But ultimately, what was best for my family and my heart belongs in Miami. So here I am. To, to entertain the masses once again. So as far as Chris Bosch is concerned, no, no tears were actually shed. I think uh, it's been a long time now since we knew something like this was coming with, with Bosch, obviously missed all of last season. But the thank you note itself was very touching. It was, absolutely. And if you haven't read it, do yourself a favor. Go to chrisbosch.com and, and read the letter. It's a very open um, sign and, and kind of revelatory look at, at Bosch and how he felt about his process going to Miami, the years in Toronto before that, but the time he's grown here in South Florida and everything that's happened. And, you know, he's been through a lot, obviously. The, the, we've, we've known about him having issues with the team and knowing that this day was going to come when he was eventually going to be waived didn't make it any easier. But here he is, you know, talking about how much he's grown, the, the little things like learning how to speak Spanish and become involved in the culture. Um the fact that so many fans have come up to him and expressed terms of support, even throughout the last couple of years when he wasn't really actively part of the team, all those things were really great to see. And it's nice to see how much he appreciates that. He's no longer a South Florida resident. He's living in Los Angeles now from everything we've heard. But clearly the time that he spent here in South Florida meant a lot to him. And I'm glad to see that this is probably just one more step towards repairing whatever damage there was to the relationship between the Heat and the front office. He also tweeted out some some thanks to mm-hmm. Mickey Harrison, Eric Spolstra, all the coaching staff, Pat Riley, of course, um, for, for everything that they've done. And, of course, Riley uh, revealing that the number one will never be worn by another player again. So Chris Bosch's stint with, with the Heat and, and his tenure here will be historically remembered, and, and that's great to see. Throughout the letter, he, he talks about how he had to kind of accept the things he couldn't control. And, you know, we knew that there was a lot of angst and um, frustration on Bosch's part. Sure. When when all that everything kind of went down, where he wasn't going to be able to play this season, uh, it seems like maybe he's come to terms with that a little bit more. Um, just understanding that certain things aren't in his control, and he's starting to get over them. Um, he's reflective in having four of his five children in Miami. I mean, yeah. these are the things that 
you talk about all the time on the show are the outside factors, not just the stuff that happens on the court, people's families, lifestyle, and, and how all that kind of comes into play throughout a player's career. And it really seems like Bosch has found a, um, a comfort and, and with that. And he just seems more content than I think he sounded this time last year where he was talking about coming back and releasing those uh, videos on Bleacher Report about his journey back and documentaries. And then he really seems to have kind of grown out of that and and just kind of settled in. And by no means does it mean that he's not going to try to return to the NBA as far as everything we read, even including in this letter, he's not shut the door on that, even though you and I think that it's, and most people do think it's probably over for him. But, um, you know, he mentions his, his family a lot too, and how he had, like I said, four of his five kids. He talked about the birth of his second child, which was the first one he had in Miami. In yeah. this, and it was just a, a, a touching story. He talks about uh, getting off the plane in the playoffs during a playoff game against New York. They got off the plane the day before the game. Within a half hour, he gets a call um, that his son is going to be due. So he just turns around, gets back on a plane, goes back to Miami. He's there to witness the birth of his son, and then they weren't the Heat weren't sure if he was going to make the game the next day. And he walks in just as Eric Spolstra is giving his pregame address to the team, and everybody right. just crowds claps for him and crowds around him and congratulates him on the birth. Like that's just it's that's a great insight into the locker room and just like a touching moment that you think about um, and how close that team was. You know, we, we, we remember the dominance of the big three era, but we do often, I think, forget how, just how close that team was. Yeah. Um, how much stuff they did off the court, the, the, the video bombs and post game interviews, all the fun stuff that they just had a really good time. Uh, just a really good letter overall. Um, and I, I implore everybody listening to read that if you haven't gotten a chance already. Uh, and he's especially thankful to the fans and everybody that reached out to support him. And it's just that's just a nice thing. And and with but between that and and the Heat announcing that there nobody else is going to wear number one, you know the the uh, Bosch's jersey number, they're going to retire right. that. Right. Just those two things. It really just seems like in pu- in public, it seems like Bosch and the team have come to terms, and that they're maybe on on a better standing at this point. Right. I'd have to agree. Yeah, I, I think. You know, it could always be a, a public face, but uh, it sounds heartfelt. I think the thanks don't have to come. I mean, we've seen, whether valid or invalid, we've seen fans kind of rebuke players for not thanking teams if they've left or not taking the time to express in great detail uh, you know, how much the, the, the previous organization or the previous city and fan base meant to them. So um, he didn't have to do this. He hasn't played for the team. He's... You know, whether if you believe some of the reports, you know, he felt wronged by the front office. But um, I think he's made a healthy separation between the front office, the business aspect of it that unfortunately players have to be fully aware of and reference as often as they do. Um, and, and the fans and the love and the loyalty and to, to bring about those things that he talked about, the, the special memories. Look, one of the things that you and I have always loved about Bosch and I think a lot of people have is his incredible humanity and the depth of personality that shows on the floor, but off of it as well. The, his curiosity for learning and loving and experiencing life. And and to think that when he remembers his time in Miami, it's not just about the the friendships that he formed on the floor and in the locker room, but also the special family moments and how much he grew as a person and, you know, getting married and having children and, and doing all the things that he remembers 
a special playoff moment, not just because of a victory against a, a bad New York Knicks team, but because it represented the birth of his second child. And, and those things really mean so much. And that's why he continues to be a fantastic person. I mean, I've mentioned it a number of times, so I apologize to any listeners remember, but I can't recall any moment as happily as I did in free agency as 2014, the, the day or two after LeBron left back to Cleveland and that Miami was able to re-sign Bosch was almost as invigorating mm-hmm. as, the LeBosch, as the LeBron decision was uh, heart, you know, demoralizing. So a special moment, and I always appreciate it, CB. One of my big regrets is that I never got a chance to interview him personally, but um, – you know, who knows? Maybe it'll happen sometime in the future when he comes for a special event or something like that. But uh, great player. I think somebody who is much beloved by the fan base there. And, and it's tough to see how everything kind of shook down over the last few years. But nice to see that he'll always be greatly remembered and appreciated by the franchise and I'm sure by the fans too. And he could have been, you know, the Bosch the, the Bosch situation, you know, when, when he can't play because of the blood clots on his lungs and everything like that. That really... It obviously put a wrench in Miami's team building plans post LeBron, too, and I and we're gonna talk about basically how the whole offseason is uh, shaken out so far. But first, we want to talk about our friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to find tickets for the game, concerts, tickets, uh, or, or shows that you want to go to. It's never been easier to get the seats that you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. I could be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I got tickets for this weekend or whenever. SeatGeek uh, yeah. is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. You get the most bang for your buck with SeatGeek because they grade every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you could shop for tickets with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports, concerts, comedy, theater, anything. David, I've got, I think, three or four concerts coming up. Wow. All, yeah, yeah. I've got um, Jack Johnson, uh, John Mayer, which was my girlfriend's Ooh. idea. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Green Day, which was my idea. Okay. And we've got those, I think those three concerts in the next two months. There might be another one that I'm forgetting, but I know we use SeatGeek for all of them. And I Well, a friend of mine just actually uh, is going to uh, go see Roger Waters next weekend. And I, you know, he was talking about buying tickets. I said, make sure you use the SeatGeek app. It's so easy. And I, I, I know he downloaded it. I'm pretty sure he used SeatGeek. Whether or not he used the new promotional code or not, I'm not fully aware but he said it was a great experience, so I'm really happy to, to be able to spread the message to another friend and family member. You mentioned the new promotion code. Our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase by using that. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LONBA today. That's promo code LONBA. We used to be LOHEAT. Now it's LONBA for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So the new promo code, LONBA. Make sure you download the app even if you're not planning on buying tickets right now. Because I use it all the time just to browse whatever concerts are around me. It's great Good for point. just browsing. Um, anyway. Uh, so off-season stuff. Lots to talk about, David. Um, we haven't spoken on the podcast since the Heat signed Kelly Olenek. Um, and, of course, they re-signed James Johnson and Dion Waiters to lucrative deals. Four-year deals. Uh, Olenek also uh, $50 million over four years. Uh, the Heat really rounding out um, its roster, pretty much. 
And so we've got a clearer picture than what we did, obviously, last week, this time last week. What are your thoughts on Kelly Olynyk? I know we both like James Johnson and Deion Waiters. We're excited to have him. Uh, but Kelly Olynyk specifically, what, was, what do you think about that signing? Well, it was so surprising, right? I think, um, you know, we, we've read reports also that uh, as soon as the Hayward to Boston news became somewhat official, um, it became necessary for them to uh, renounce Kelly Olynyk, who was a restricted free agent and therefore making him an unrestricted free agent. And one of the first phone calls that him and his representative received was from the Miami Heat. So um, nobody really expected it. And uh, and that's okay. I think it actually is a great deal. Now, I know a lot of people weren't too happy about it. I think they were mostly caught off guard. But when you think about how the team is currently constructed, considering we're going to be bringing back the majority of the roster, if not all the members of the team that we really wanted to be here, with the exception, of course, unfortunately, Joshua Roberts, who never really panned out in a Miami Heat uniform, mm-hmm. Kelly Olenek, I think, is a really, really great fit. Uh, whether he starts at the power forward position or continues to come off the bench as a backup center, He's going to add another dimension to the team that was, that's been missing in recent years. He stretches the floor really well. He defends at a higher level than I think Willie Reed does, that's for sure. He's not necessarily a rim protector, but he's a guy who can switch defensively, pick up guys in the perimeter. He can move his feet fairly well. Look, I know there is a certain stereotype that's going to be attached to a guy who's seven feet tall, white, and has long hair and a goatee. I mean, he looks like you're a typical basketball player, but he can play. He's also a really good scorer really good passer from the mm-hmm. high post. He can create offense so well, uh, so well for the team. So I think when you look at Miami's offense, the way it worked out so well last year with a drive and kick game, you're going to have an additional weapon on the perimeter or a guy who can move the ball around and find that open shooter. So either he's going to be knocking down the shot or looking for somebody who can, and it continues to work having a guy like Tyler Johnson, Deion Waiters, or Goran Dragic, of course, driving and finding those open shooters on the perimeter. So it's, it's just another added factor that I think makes Miami even more potent offensively. So I personally, I really like the move. Now, I, I know there are some concerns about his contract. What are you doing giving him four years, $50 million, et cetera? That's probably more than most people expected to pay for a guy like Olenek. Maybe you could have gotten him for somewhat cheaper. But I think Miami saw an opportunity to build on a young player to continue to develop him to that next level and, and pay a somewhat affordable rate there. So maybe a little bit of an overpay, but if he works out the way he can and continues to show promise, I think uh, it's a great addition. You know, people kept comparing him to Josh McRoberts when they signed, oh, this is the next McRoberts contract. You're only saying that because he's white and plays power forward. That's a good it, point. It's, it was, to me, and, the, and we've talked about the McRoberts contract a lot, where sure. it wasn't a bad deal when they signed it. it. You can't help a body breaking down. It's unfortunate. Just like Chris Bosh's body broke down, McRoberts right. did. You can't help that. And you can't blame him for it. I'm actually, I'm glad McRoberts was traded in order to facilitate these these deals being signed. Just because I'm so sick of hearing like just the the backlash against McRoberts and just like the slander against him on Twitter and stuff like that. I probably shouldn't pay him as much attention to it as I do. But you and I get questions all the time in the mailbag about well, how are they going to get rid of McRoberts' contract? We should we should stretch his contract. Let's get rid of him. He's a bum. It's just like, gee, I'm so glad that we don't have to hear deal with that anymore. I, I, it, it's not like he was a, a mass murderer or, or got into any kind of trouble with the law or anything like that. By all he accounts, never he was a fine poorly. teammate. Like, it was yeah. just like, anyway, we don't have to, but I liked Olenek. I've liked Olenek since Gonzaga. Yeah, really? And I have. And, and, we, and maybe I just have a thing for Gonzaga bigs because you knew I like Zach Collins a lot. Ooh. And I was disappointed that Miami wasn't able to get him. Now, I, I'm a big fan of Bam Adebayo and what we've seen throughout Summer League, and you've, you've covered him up front and in person during uh, Orlando Summer League. Uh, 
I've liked what I've seen from him, but I was a big fan of Zach Collins. We kind of get that. I get my Gonzaga big now with Kelly Olynyk. I'm very okay, happy good. with it, and they are able to stretch. He's able to stretch the floor, uh, like you said. He's able to pass the ball well. Um, I think he's got. Look, he's not a great defender, but we Spolster makes every player twenty to thirty percent better on defense every time. Like, just look at Wayne Ellington. I just every he's not gonna. If he's not going to be able to be a good defender, uh, he won't be on the floor. And obviously Miami has confidence that they think he can be. He's athletic. Um, he moves well. He runs the floor well. He's going to be able to play in a fast-paced offense. He's going to be able to spread. He, he's really good from shooting from the corners on those corner threes. He's got great percentages. Um, better than even his 36% overall shooting rate from three-point range in general, which is very good for a, a, a power forward. Um he just fits in. He's going to make room for Waiters and Dragic to, to get to the rim. I mean, he, if you're looking for a guy who fits with what Miami needs to do, he he's just a really good fit. I mean, you look at how Ryan Anderson spread the floor for yeah. James Harden in Houston. Now, that's a valuable skill, and he played a valuable role for the Rockets, but nobody wants to touch Ryan Anderson's contract because he's getting paid $20 million a year. The Heat are paying a lot less than that for a similar player. So if you look at it in those terms... It's a really good contract. Is the four years a little scary? I guess some people have had an issue with it. But it's not like the Heat just decided to give him four years arbitrarily. Like, if you want a player in free agency, that's probably what it costs. Would, would Miami have rather paid him $35 million over three years? Probably. But then they wouldn't have signed him. Somebody else would have signed him. So you do what you have to do to, to get him. Barry Jackson actually wrote, he, he talked with a few scouts after the trade, um, or after the signing, and they said the same thing. Like, look, this is a guy who I probably wouldn't pay this much for, but this was probably the market price for him. And uh, it seems like everybody's pretty high on this signing within the team. And I think it's I think it's going to work out well. Whether or not he comes, whether or not he starts at the four or comes off the bench as a combo four or five, like he did in Boston, I think he fits both roles pretty well. I agree. Uh, you know, he's only twenty six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's entering into his peak now, and I think he's primed for. Uh, the next phase of his career, whatever that might be, either he's going to continue to extend his range or make it even a high or shoot them at a higher percentage, or he's going to wind up being an even better defender. Now, I, I mean, I talked to some Boston guys. They thought he was a solid defender. And I think their biggest issue with him was on the offensive end where he could be occasionally inconsistent. Was there anything that kind of backed that up on your end as far as thinking that he's not a plus defender? No, I just that's kind of the rumors around there. Maybe it's just because okay. he's a big plotting white guy or a big okay. lanky white guy that doesn't look like an athlete. I think he's a. I've always thought he was an aver, uh, an average to defender, and he's going to get better within Miami's scheme. Yeah. Uh, and look, you're, and he's 26 years old. They've got him signed throughout his prime. They did the same thing with Deion Waiters. This is why you get the four year deals. You're signing them at. You know, if these guys are just who are just now entering their primes, right? Like Waiters, Waiters and Olenek. They're just now entering their primes. That means they're going to get better, right? And you're signing them at what could end up being a below-market rate on a contract that could, in the future, be extremely tradable. We'll talk about that. But first, a quick reminder to make sure that you have subscribed to David Locke's Locked On NBA for all of your national NBA news, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, So subscribe to that and and check out the rest of the fine podcasts on the network throughout the offseason and everything that happens throughout free agency. So... The Heat 
signing these guys throughout their primes. It really looks like this is the, the team, barring a major trade. But you look at guys like James Johnson, Kelly Olynyk, Dion Waiters, Goran Dragic, Hassan Whiteside. There's a lot of really tradable players on this roster should that big name become available. I actually wrote a column this morning, uh, or yes, Sunday morning, it came out. Um, on allyoucanheat.com. I'm getting kind of I'm getting some crap about it on social media. <laughs> I don't know why exactly. The headline is uh, Pat Riley and the Miami Heat are settling for being good, and that's okay. And I think maybe people are taking objection to the word settling. That's not bad, guys. Like th- there is no road. This team is basically locked in to this roster for the foreseeable future. They're not going to have a ton of cap space next summer, so they're not going to be able to sign big-name free agents unless they just do a huge salary dump, which doesn't seem likely because they have no draft picks to attach to guys anymore. Um, but, look, the Warriors are the Warriors. The Cavaliers are the Cavaliers. I'm, the Thunder have Russell Westbrook, reigning MVP, and just acquired Paul George, one of the best two-way players in all NBA caliber talent, and they're not even being mentioned as a possibility to come out of the West, Right. Like, yeah. we're in a unique situation in the NBA where two all-NBA players aren't enough to make you a title contender. It, it's insane. What the, like, the, if you think about that 2006 Heat team with Dwayne Wade and Shaquille O'Neal, they would have had yeah. to have two other all-stars on that team to even compete with, with these sort of teams, right? And that team won the title. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the landscape of the league has changed. And as far as Riley is concerned, I, I, you know, I think Heat Twitter and the Heat fan base is in a very weird spot because obviously they've been kind of berated nationally um, ever since 2010, maybe even well before that to some people. But uh, I think Riley you know, is always going to be mythologized at some point with the fan base. Either you're a complete, in complete awe of Riley and everything that he's done for the team or you've kind of lost faith, maybe another smaller extreme uh, a part of the fan base is kind of upset at the moves that he's made, losing Dwayne Wade, maybe forcing Chris Bosh out, et cetera. But for the most part, I think there's still that very fervent fan base that that loves everything that Riley does. The, the talk of him being the godfather and everything else. And, you know, he struck out on Hayward, but he was able to get a meeting, which is certainly a positive. And you mentioned these things in your post, but I guess I don't want to come to the realization that maybe Riley isn't always going to be able to attract a big name free agent. Now, I, I don't think it's necessarily fodder to show that Riley's lost his touch or anything like that. He's still getting the meetings with the top players. It's just very, very difficult to sign them. Look, Aldridge, LaMarcus Aldridge a few years ago was never going to come with Miami. We didn't have the money for him. We had Chris Bosh and his nebulous contract situ- situation to work with. Um, we were able to get a meeting with Kevin Durant, but again, it was going to cost us Dwayne Wade, who wasn't exactly actively recruiting on Miami's part. And as far as Hayward is concerned, he had nothing but positives to say about his meeting with Riley and the organization. And he really did, for a brief moment, consider himself part of this team and think that he was going to actually be able to fit in here very well. So as far as Riley's moves are concerned, he's doing what he can to build a great team, if not a very good team, if not a great team, not necessarily a title contender. But building a title contender is probably unrealistic at this point, given the landscape of the league and how many superstars you need to achieve that capacity. Uh, and the fact that there are still very, very top-heavy, talented teams on the in the West and in, in Cleveland. So I think, uh, I mean, you look at Boston, they've added Gordon Hayward, but because of the sacrifice of depth that they've had to make, I don't know that they're a legitimate title contender, to be honest with you. I, I'm with you. And I look, you look at Boston's move to get Hayward, and if Miami were to sign Hayward, that might have been the first move to attract another 
player of that caliber. And now you, players want players might want to play with Gordon Hayward. I don't know if they do, but they might. And there's just, you know, Gordon Hayward wanted to play with Isaiah Thomas, right? Or and he wanted to play in Boston and wanted to play with Brad Stevens. Guys don't necessarily want to play with Goran Dragic and Hassan Whiteside. They're really good players. They're near all stars, but they're not all NBA talents. They're not. They're not team changing talents, but they're very good. And that's, and that's okay. Look, when when Cleveland is as good as they are and the Warriors are as good as they are, you can kind of go one of two ways. You could try to compete. Or be competitive in some way, um, or you can just tank and wait until 2023 and 2024. And Miami doesn't have any draft picks, right? They've 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 placed their bets on Goran Dragic by trading two first rounders. That bet will probably break even, which is a fine. Um, they 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 put a lot of money into Hassan Whiteside. They they've they've put a lot of money into now Olynyk, James Johnson, Dion Waiters. This is the core, and this is a core that can compete for 50 wins and. It's not the worst case scenario to just say, all right, we're not going to just, we're not going to tank, right? There's no guarantee. We, we don't have the draft picks, and there's no guarantee that we're going to come out at the, on the other side with a competitive roster. Let's just, let's just be a good team. This is a team that won 41 games and missed the playoffs last year, and we all love this team. <laughs> right. Right. What if, if this, if you can run this thing back, you add Olenek and Bam Adebayo, you get some internal development between Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow, who should be healthy this next season. This team can win 50 games. That'll be yeah, a lot you, of fun. You put that number out there, and I had been thinking just below that 48, but with the, the departures in the Eastern Conference uh, and the fact that I think Olenek is going to fit in very well with the way that Miami runs their offense, 50 is not unrealistic. I, I, that seems to be the kind of benchmark that people use for a very successful team. It's a 50-win mm-hmm. team, et cetera. In the West, they're probably not going to be able to. to uh, you're not going to have a lot of teams winning 50 games out West because one, you have Golden State, and because overall the conference just improved across the board. Teams like Minnesota, even Utah, didn't necessarily lose lo- much by by getting by losing Hayward. They were able to acquire, um, you know, you know Spider Mitchell. Uh, they they they're not a bad team. They're, they're I think there's going to be a lot of competition for those you know three through eight spots yeah. in the Western Conference. So. Uh, 50 wins is going to be hard to reach, but in the East, I think it's fairly wide open. I know Toronto's improved. Uh, we're, we're recording this podcast right after the news broke that they're acquiring CJ Miles in a, in a sign and trade. That's a really good fit for them. Boston's probably going to take a hit back. They may win the Eastern Conference because what we've seen from in the past that LeBron hasn't really cared about the regular season, but I think the, the lack of or their depth taking a hit. If, if they have to make a move and trade either Jay Crowder or, or or Marcus Smart, that's going to really hurt them. And I know that they got, uh, you know, uh, what's what's the rookie's name? Uh, Semi Ojeleye. Semi Ojeleye, Jason Tatum. Uh, they've got Jalen Brown from last year. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some decent some decent pieces there. I mean, that that might take a step in right. development or might not. But losing Avery Bradley is going to hurt their defense. Uh, I think we tend to forget how how impactful he was defensively, and he knocked down some big shots. Horford is another year older. What we're going to see from him, uh, and, and there's going to be some some difficulty in integrating a new piece like Hayward, who's going to command the ball. Isaiah Thomas isn't going to control the offense the way he is. I wonder if he's going to be Mister Fourth Quarter now that they've added Hayward there. So that's a question mark for the, the team to figure I'm, out. I'm with you. I'm not sure how much better Boston is, and uh, there's going to be an adjustment. You're certainly right because Isaiah Thomas had a Harden like usage rating. And uh, he's not going to be able to do that, like you said, with Gordon Hayward there. 
I'm not, and, and they just, Boston has just kept themselves in that mix where if something were to happen to Cleveland, they're kind of the default team to advance. But if nothing happens to Cleveland, they probably don't have a shot. And, and whatever, that's fine for Boston. Maybe there's another move down the line where, you know, you start trading those Brooklyn picks and you get that second all-star that you need and, and you start kind of developing your team that way. Maybe you trade Horford. I don't know. But uh, for Miami, you, you've got a team that could win 50 games. I'm not saying they will, but they should compete for 50 wins. And I agree with you. The East is so weak right now. This is a team that could be the top uh, one of the fourth could be the fourth or fifth best team in the East. We, and you look at a team like the Memphis Grizzlies over the past several seasons and they were beloved by Memphis and everybody had such a good time and they sold out every game and I mean Zach Randolph who who isn't retired and just went and he signed with the Sacramento Kings never won a championship in Memphis never made it to the finals but his his number is going to be retired by the Grizzlies organization. That's how much that's how beloved that team was and he played like in three different organizations and was viewed as a malcontent everywhere else around the league around the league then he gets to memphis and he's kind of not necessarily reborn i mean i I think a lot of those stories were overstated as far as him being a a negative uh you know player or anything like that but you know he fit in really well with what they were doing he was embraced by the community beloved by the community it's just incredible there and i think you're right i mean the parallel there is a very interesting one i think miami can field a really fun team. Think about as bad, you know, for, for me, and, and I think you feel the same way, and probably a lot of our fans do. That first half of last season from Miami was so difficult to watch. You didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to be out there, right. and when they were out there, as competitive as they were, there just wasn't any kind of positivity there. There wasn't any joy to anything that was taking place. The second half was the exact opposite of that. The the re insertion and energy energy of of Dion Waiters was so infectious, and, and you love seeing that kind of chaos and fun that he brought in there, and then all of a sudden, Goran's playing at a higher level, Hassan's Hassan's role has lessened, and he fits in much more efficiently, it's no longer taking 18-foot jumpers, mm-hmm. much to your joy, uh, you know, they just, they, they played so much better and, and, and more effectively, and I think we just added to that team with the addition of Olenek, it's another year of Winslow, another year of Richardson, Another year of Magruder or Carl White and guys like that. The energy of Adebayo, who's really, really, really fun to watch. In person in Orlando, a lot of fun there. I don't know what kind of playing time he'll get, but it's just another improvement to this team. You look at at their future, maybe it's a little cloudy with a lack of draft picks, but they've got a good young core there, and I think they're just going to continue to get better. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you, You look at the roster on paper, and your eyes are immediately drawn to the big the big money guys, Whiteside at 20 plus million a year, uh, Dragic, James Johnson, Deion Waiters, Kelly Olynyk, who are the top five guys on the roster, really. And that's going to be good enough, like I said, with all the depth of those young guys, that's going to be good enough to compete for the high 40s, 50 wins, and be a fun team. But really, when I say this team is locked in, it's going to be, the ceiling of this team is those those other guys, Bam Adebayo, like you mentioned, Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, those guys are going to be due for extensions next year. Um, Winslow probably slots in as the starting small forward at this point, I would imagine. Um, and the the ceiling of this team is really kind of linked toward, to him. I mean, uh, I listened to Zach Lowe and Tom Haberstroh, their podcast uh, that came mm-hmm. out over the weekend, I, I think, or Friday or something like that. And Haberstroh mentioned that, or maybe it was Zach Lowe, I can't remember, but that uh, Justice Winslow was one of their most interesting guys going into the next season because the Heat really do believe that he could be Kawhi Leonard-esque. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I don't know. But we've heard that comparison a thousand times. 
if he can start to get up to that level, if he could become an all-star, he completely transforms what the ceiling of this team is, right? And maybe, and Dion Waiters was interviewed over the weekend, and he said, look, I think I could be an all-star. I've got a whole other level that I can reach. Well, we'll see. He's, he's felt that from, since his first yeah. season. So. But really, like, when it comes down to Winslow, Bam Adebayo, Josh Richardson, who you and I are still very high on, yes. I mean, if these guys develop, and become starters, and in the case of maybe Winslow and, and Bam, who have potential to be all-stars, uh, the, compl- the the whole dynamic of this team shifts, right? Because now, if Bam Adebayo becomes that level, Hassan Whiteside is expendable. If Justice Winslow gets to that level, now you can start playing with other guys. You don't need, you know, maybe you can move James Johnson or something like that down the road when he's in his age 32 or 33 season. Um you know, all of a sudden the whole dynamic of this team changes. And that's kind of fun. You know, I've been, I don't know about you, but the whole chasing free agents thing, I understand that you need to do it. You have to do it. And that all-stars win championships. But maybe just as two guys covering this team, like every single day, I just got, I've started to get tired of it. I just like, look, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm actually really happy that I know that this is kind of, this is going to be the group for the foreseeable future. And we could just watch them grow together. I'm just like, I'm relieved almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we took, We've taken a lot of questions in previous mailbag editions about, you know, whether or not it's worth uh, running this team back or, or try to acquire a superstar or should we just go ahead and, and get rid of everybody and not try to sign anybody and actively start tanking so that we can build for a future. But I, I don't know that I necessarily want to stomach three years of 18 wins apiece um, just so we could potentially get a high draft pick in a couple of years when eventually we start getting them again. I mean, to me, that's. It, that doesn't seem like a lot of fun. And, and and again, I think I've mentioned this before, and I can't shake this feeling that Miami's absolutely spoiled by the success that they've enjoyed over the last 10 years. The fact that they've won three titles during that time span is so much. And, and the fact that they've made the playoffs, what is it, eight years out of those? I mean, mm-hmm. they've had so much success. There are fr- Sacramento hasn't made the playoffs in that time span. Right, they would kill for a fourth seed in the playoffs, and they're not even close at this point with the way the Western Conference has improved. Orlando hasn't made it in six years. This is a franchise that still sees themselves as so largely successful because of the years they had with Shaquille O'Neal and Dwight Howard, and they haven't made the damn playoffs in six years. Guys, you have to have a little perspective here. I mean, Miami is a very, very good team. We can continue to be competitive. We continue to be good. Maybe not great, but that time will come. And again, we talked, and I think there's a lack of perspective as well when we talk about acquiring that that big name or that superstar. Like you can just trade pennies on the dollar. Oh, we'll trade a first pick, a 14th pick in the draft in Josh Richardson, and we'll get Jimmy Butler out of it. That's not enough. That's not enough. Now we have guys who are going to continue to take another step or are coming in on relatively cheap deals. You know, $15 million a, a year. For a guy like James Johnson with that kind of versatility, if we have to trade him for a superstar, which I don't want to and I'm not advocating, it's certainly more possible now than it was a few years and ago. And that's okay. the four-year deal helps with that, right? Because you look Absolutely. at what Boston has had to trade Avery Bradley for nothing. I mean, you're getting Marcus Morris, a, compl- a, a very inconsistent player, um, and you had, to, you had to attach a second rounder because he's, got, he's on an expiring contract. People don't want expiring deals and trades. You want a guy that's locked in for a below-market deal. These could all end up being below market deals for these guys. Um, and look, I've mentioned that this is similar to what Portland did last summer, but Miami almost learned it, it, it is similar to what Portland did last summer in that they just locked up their own guys, made a couple of nice acquisitions, and then they're like, this is our team, and we're, gonna, we're going to rely on internal development. 
And it, it is similar to that, but the reason it's better than that is because they didn't, instead of paying 18 and 20 million for guys, they're paying 12, 13, 14 million for guys. And, and that's that's good, you know, that those are a couple million dollars shaved off of those kind of deals. That that get that can become really important down the road. Uh, so yeah, free agency is probably not going to be the road in the foreseeable future unless there's a massive salary dump, which I just don't see happening. Yeah. But look, Pat Riley's gotten in the room with those guys. Like you mentioned, it's very commendable, it's very impressive, but he hasn't been able to land them. It's just I'm I'm maybe he's just like shifting focus to where instead of just chasing these free agents, and he mentioned at the beginning of the summer, and we kind of laughed him off, but he did mention. Look, it's hard to build through free agency. You know, players are different now. Uh, players are either going to stay at home or they're going to go to the. They're going to be like Kevin Durant and join the Warriors. You know what I mean? Like, it's not players don't want to just go to Miami and New York anymore just for the sake of going. Um, it's going to be easier to trade for somebody, and this is a team built to make a trade. I mean, we remember the Shaquille O'Neal trade, right? That was Lamar Odom, an All-Star player, Karan Butler, a nice young player. Brian Grant, a good role player and a first-round pick. And that was able to get you Shaquille O'Neal, who was able to bring a, a championship to Miami. There are guys like that on this roster. You can move guys. There are young guys. There are veteran guys. They're in their, there's guys right in their primes. You can move these guys if somebody were to become available. And I have no idea who that might that person might be, but Miami is at least in position for that. So that's one way to get an all-star. And the other way, obviously, is, like we said, the internal development of the team. And, that, and in the meantime... They'll win. They'll win fifty games. They'll be the Grizzlies of the East, and I'm more than happy with that. And it'll be a good time. I agree. Um, all right. I wanted to ask you, by the way, you you wrote that right before we 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 uh, sign off here. You you wrote for FanRag Sports Chris Bosh's Hall of Fame credentials. You said he's a shoe in. It shouldn't even be a question. I cannot believe to this day that we question whether or not Chris Bosh is a Hall of Famer. I think it's completely obvious, um, and you agree with that, right? I mean, I, again, it was something our editors asked us to put together there. But for the most part, I think it's – I can't imagine anybody who starts questioning it. But there are. Look, I, even when I when I heard about his waving from Miami, I, I tweeted out something innocuous, you know, just saying a oh, great player, great career, something along those lines. And somebody responded back, slow down. He's no Moses Malone. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, he, he's a great player. We forget about that. And it's just – in the piece, I kind of touch on it. Look, there are historical comparisons there as far as win shares mm-hmm. and guys that have put up decent numbers that aren't in the hall just yet. Um, and I don't think all of them stack up the way they do. Like, you know, say what you will about the value of all-star selections. He's got 11 of them over the course of his career. He's proven himself. And, and you look at – you could dismiss those all-star selections as, oh, it's just fans. Fans don't really know what they want. Look at Zaza Pachulia getting <laughs> votes for the all-star game, et cetera. But he was most often – he was never a star. He, I think he was a star like twice or three times out of those yeah. 11 selections. That means the coaches, the people that have to prepare every day against these players voted him in because they recognized the value of his play. And that's something that can't be taken away. I didn't include that part there, but that's something that I did notice in yes. researching the piece. I mean he stood out as far as a great player, but he, just, he was also a style that was hard to embrace because he played the center position early in his career – and, of course, later on in Miami as well. But you're coming in an era where, where Shaquille O'Neal was so mm-hmm. dominating and going up against other big stiffs like, you know, Dikembe Mutombo and others. Even even my, in Miami, uh, Alonzo Mourning and stuff like that. Guys that were just different, played much more physically and stuff like that. And Bosch was not that type of player. He, he could handle the physicality of it, but he'd prefer, and, and better for him, 
to, to be able to create from outside. I mean, it was really good. He was really good at driving past those slower centers. He was also very good at knocking down that mid-range shot. It's like we're beating him up for playing to his strengths. And in fact, he wound up becoming the precursor mm-hmm. for the kind of player that you want in today's league. Everybody beat down the door for Nikola Jokic and, and Carl Anthony Towns. Exactly. I mean, Chris Stapps Porzingis is a god in New York. He's not even as good as Chris Bosh was in his rookie year. I mean, that, that's just a, I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I don't think it's that far of a reach either. And, and I, I mean, as great as we've talked about him and being as a person on and off the floor, I think his Hall of Fame credentials are a lock, I think. The third, I, I'm the third best forward. player on a team that went to four straight finals by far. Right, like oh, yeah. even with these these warriors now, you can debate who's the third best player: Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, whatever. It was it was LeBron, it was Wade, it was Bosh, and it was everybody else. It was basically a role player at that point, and those three were good enough to go to four straight finals and win two of them. It's yeah. insane, and you think, and like you said, you think about the way he was able to transform his own game and the way he was able to transform the floor for guys like LeBron and Wade and make both of those guys even better than they were before they teamed up with Chris Bosh, and. And we talk about, for example, the, sp- the 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 effect a guy like Steph Curry has on the game when he doesn't even have right. the ball. Right. Bosh was very much that for those Heat teams. It was just the effect he had on the game from from the center position, being able to stretch the floor to the three point line and pass the ball with incredibly with incredible precision and accuracy and and timing. Um, he was a triple threat guy. I mean, this was a guy that wasn't Lamarcus Aldridge, right? This guy was. Right. This guy was like. I mean, he was Kevin Garnett with a three-point shot for two seasons. I mean, it was insane, and um, just the, and your and the coaches respected him. Uh, Spolster always said that he was the most important player on the team, just because the entire the whole the whole thing just kind of revolved around what he did on both ends of the court. He was just never mind. The stats are so irrelevant to me; it doesn't even matter. It's just like, exactly. It's just, it, was, it was a challenge for me to even include those in the, in the yeah. piece because it's like. Who cares about the numbers? He took a, a hit in his statistical production by choice. And, and you know, it, this sounds somewhat cliche, but following up on what you were saying, like, you know, everybody looks at Kobe or Michael Jordan. It was something that was often said about Jordan is what, what stood out about him as far as being a great player is that he made other players better around him. Well, who else did that better than Bosch? I mean, he allowed LeBron and Dwayne to play to their strengths. And he made everybody else around him better because of his ability to defend the perimeter and knock down shots from the perimeter. You can drive to the rim and kind of hold on to the ball too long because you'll have an outlet there for a guy who's six foot ten, six eleven, and can knock him down at a thirty-seven percent rate. I mean, he just he made those teams function smoothly. Absolutely, and the courage it took just to, to like you said, to sacrifice your stats willingly. When he didn't know the outcome of this, like he really had to trust in that. Like I'm just going to play basketball the right way, and I'll be rewarded at the end of this. It was the courage and the trust and the foresight to even to ha- to to do that is for a player who ha- who was the best player on playoff teams before that. I mean, it just it it goes without saying. I mean, how incredible that is. But and he was a great player. It's it, his his letter again. Implore you to read it if you haven't. Um, we're, I'm excited that his number is going to be retired. It's totally worth it. I don't like some people bash like, oh, it's unbelievable. Like, it it's totally worth it. Bosch was a one in a million. So yeah, now, now it might get a little dusty up in here when the that ceremony <laughs> takes place. But yeah, otherwise, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to to him being a part of the, the Heat family for years to come. All right, well, that's all we have for today. What do you think? A mailbag later this week, David? Absolutely. All right, sounds good. Send those in. Uh, you can send them into LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or on Twitter at LockedOnHeat. Uh, make sure to subscribe 
iTunes, on iTunes if you haven't already. Um, and support the show by downloading every episode. Uh, yeah, so rate us, review us, say nice things about us on iTunes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.